You're listening to Producing with Purpose, an ethical business podcast with me, Tony Corrales. We'll be speaking to some of the greatest CEOs, creatives, founders, and entrepreneurs who have established and managed companies that put ethical practices at the forefront of their mission, all whilst navigating the challenges of the business world. Hello and welcome everybody. Happy New Year. This is The Return. This is episode four of Producing With Purpose. First of all, a massive thanks to everybody who listened to the first three episodes and who gave their feedback, who left reviews, who subscribed to the podcast. It's really appreciated. So if you're hearing this now, that also means that you've come back after listening to the first three. So that's the biggest compliment of all. So thanks very much for that. What's also been really nice and what was a little bit unexpected is the amount of people I've been able to speak to, be it over Instagram or over email or whatever, who listened to the first episodes of the podcast and just wanted to reach out and have a chat, talk about some of their experiences. That's what this is all about, is for everybody to have an opportunity to engage, to network, to hear some of these conversations, to be motivated, to be inspired. It's just a real positive thing that's been coming out of this, and you know, it's really good reinforcement to have started this podcast, so I'm really happy with that. On that note, if anybody does want to reach out, if anybody does want to chat, you can email me on tony at noskin.co. Always happy to hear from people. Or you can also follow a new page I've created for Producing With Purpose on Instagram, which is just at Producing With Purpose, or of course, the No Skin Instagram account, which is at noskin.co. So before we introduce today's guest, as with the previous episodes, I'll give that quick update about what's happening with No Skin. Um, And I've had good feedback that some of you have enjoyed hearing this, so I'll continue to do that. And I think there's a really good segue as well from the update I'll give today into today's guest. So I'd say the update I'd like to give today is really about the scale of things as you're starting out a new business and how you adjust to that scale and your ambitions and your goals. And at least what my personal take has been on that. And also, I think the take that I share with the co-founders of No Skin. So for those of you who are listening for the first time, No Skin is the ethical fashion label that I've co-founded and is launching in 2021. And the difference there is that I'm no longer saying specifically when in 2021 No Skin is launching. And that's not because it's been pushed back by any great degree. It's just that there seem to be changes around every corner. So now we're just going with the flow and we will update officially when it goes live. That said, we are doing pre-order now, which has been great. We've actually got products up for sale. We're actually able to start selling and we have seen money coming into the bank, which is a huge relief after six or seven months of just doing nothing but spending money and making things happen. But that's what I want to kick things off with today is just talking about how things grow. And when I say things grow, I mean that the timelines get longer, the budgets required increase, the amount of work and effort we always knew would be a lot, but that goes more in different directions than you would have expected. But for us at No Skin, and for me especially, I think one of the things that we need to do with that is we need to increase our goals and we need to increase our vision of what this can actually achieve. And I'd love to know from those of you who are listening who have been in a similar journey, is that how you responded? When the budgets increased, when the timelines got longer, did you respond to that with saying, well, then our goals and our ambitions and our visions will grow with it? Or did you feel that you had to contract to try and bring things back down to an understandable scale? I think for me, it's a bit of that you know, go all in, go hard or go home mentality. And I guess we'll see if that pays off in the end or not. So things have been a little bit delayed. But with that said, not everything has. And at the end of last year, we had an amazing achievement, an amazing milestone. 
And that was our first products were finished all the way through manufacturing. They were boxed up, they were put into a shipping container, and they are on their way to us now. It's a really huge thing for us to have achieved. We kicked off this business in around June last year, and we actually got the notification that this was in shipping and in transit on the 30th of December. So just before the end of the year, we were able to say we have actually got a product through to completion and it's going to be in our hands and ready to sell in 2021. And that's actually what you can pre-order on our website now. And as I said, it's a pretty cool segue into introducing today's guest. Because the product that we had shipped on the 30th of December was our brand new microfiber vegan leather boots that have come all the way from being handmade in Brazil. And the company that's manufactured those for us is Ahimsa Footwear. So with that great segue, today's guest on the show is Gabriel Silva, who is the founder of Ahimsa, the world's first all-vegan shoe factory. And it's an amazing journey that Gabriel takes us through, all the way from being an aspiring tennis player living in Florida to becoming an international airline pilot who would sit with the plane on autopilot reading business books and getting inspired to be an entrepreneur, and finally opening that factory in Brazil. So in today's interview, we cover off some of the ups and downs of coming towards that final place in his journey. Also, some of the unforeseen elements that actually took him along that path as well and took him away from being an airline pilot. And also then some of the challenges that he's had in actually being a vegan shoe manufacturer. What it's like to get staff in Brazil where maybe veganism isn't as popular or it's harder to get people on board, especially when this was started back in 2013. And ultimately, how Gabriel has now landed in a place where he feel like he can contribute to a cause that's important to him, whilst still taking in that entrepreneurial spirit and the advice that he learned from those business books that he was reading on those planes while he was doing a completely different job in a completely different world. As with all of the conversations I've had so far, this is a condensed version of what we actually talked about, because when I'm having these chats with people, I tend to just you know, the questions go out of the window to an extent and we just get stuck into talking about the real detail of everything. Um, I'm keen to hear your feedback though. I want to make this short and I want to make it digestible, but if you would like to hear the extended version of these, then I'm happy to, you know, I'm happy to have that there. To be honest, it would save me some of the time in editing. So if people would like to hear a little bit more of the detail, then do give me the feedback. I'm always happy to hear it. So again, with all of that said, thank you to everyone who's been listening and here's Gabriel from Ahimsa. Gabriel, welcome to the show. Hi, Tony. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Thank you. So just to kick things off a little bit, I mean, Hims has been going for around uh, around seven years now, I believe, which is pretty impressive. Yes, yeah, seven so, years. Awesome. So just tell me a little bit about, tell me a little bit about the journey and what Ahimsa does. Yeah. So back in 2013, when we decided to start this business, uh, we, I mean, me and my father, we were partners in this. Um, I had... I started working with him for, for maybe a couple of years at that point. Um, he has an agency to produce footwear for other brands. And at, at the time, it was just regular footwear, you know, leather-based and all. And I was myself going through the transition from first becoming vegetarian and later becoming vegan. And uh, I told him that it wasn't okay for me to work anywhere near leather at that point. So I decided that I would probably walk away from the business, but then speaking and researching and seeing many things, then I decided that there was probably an opportunity for us to get into the market of vegan shoes as I was looking for alternatives for myself to, you know, to purchase and wear. 
uh, I wasn't happy with the the options that I was uh, finding. Uh, probably a bit naive, but lucky at the same time that I didn't find anything else that yeah. you know suited my needs. So that pushed me in the direction that I could possibly start something. You know, using his experience in the footwear industry, his network, and the knowledge that I built up with working with him for two years, then maybe we could do something. You know, so. Uh, that's when we decided to start a brand and we took our time. As you know, it takes a little time to to get a, a brand started, to get sourcing done, you know, branding, all the details. And we launched in July 2013. And at that time, we outsourced everything. Uh, it was basically, the I think, the smartest idea at that point because we weren't sure if the market was ready or how big was the market overall. Yeah. So it, it was... Uh, smart for us to start you know outsourcing and then in january 2014 is when we took the step that takes us to where we are today that was starting our own factory so since uh, early 2014 we manufacture everything ourselves it's amazing all right i'm definitely gonna i'm gonna come back to that in a minute because there's so many questions about how you go from yeah. you know outsourcing and getting things made which is obviously the process that we're doing at the moment with no skin um as you know yeah. very well about and um but to then turn that into your own factory, I can't even imagine. I mean, obviously, you've come from the shoe industry or your father has as well. But that's a very big step. So I'm definitely going to come back to that in a minute. But also, I understand that you actually had a pretty interesting transition prior to even going into footwear. That before that, you were in a completely different career path. Yeah, I was an airplane pilot before then. I used to fly private jets, uh, zipping wow. around all, all over the planet. <laughs> wow. That's and, really cool. Yeah, so uh, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in early 2011. Okay. Or, sorry, yeah, early 2011, late 2010. So that made me have to stop flying, you know, uh, by regulation. I'm not allowed to take insulin uh, as I do my medicals and all to, to get, you know, up to, to the standards of flying. I had to stop flying at the time, you know. I remember... Clearly being at the hospital, you know, I was in bed because I was feeling really sick for about 10 days and didn't know why. Um, and I didn't know anything about diabetes except, you know, by knowing the aviation regulation by, mm. you know, pretty much from the top of my head that the, the diagnosis meant that my career was over. You know, it, it must have been a hard time to lose that career as well. Not only have you found out that, you know, you've, you've got type 1 diabetes, but then you've actually lost your job and everything that you've worked very hard for because of that, which must be really tough. So do you think that this kind of shift gave you maybe a different confidence or ambition to create something that you had a bit more control over? So becoming an entrepreneur is something where you're not playing by somebody else's rules you're not in someone else's constraints of what you can or can't do or what can or can't impact you do you, do you think that there was a, a bit of a response to what happened that made you then go out and do something and take control of your own business i've never thought about it like you just said you know maybe maybe it has but it wasn't um you know it wasn't on my mind at the time yeah um, I remember at the, the later stages of my career, you know, I started flying very young. I was teaching other people how to fly at 18 wow. and the peak of my career, I was 21. Wow. So that was all very, very early in my life. So I, I don't think I was all developed, you yeah, know, okay. uh, in, in quotation. So, um, but the, the later stages of my career, I was mainly flying internationally and I had a lot of let's say downtime, you know, where the, the plane is on autopilot, you're sitting on 
like at 50,000 feet. And I used to re read a lot, you know, every since I was like 16 or 17, I got hooked on business books. Okay. Um, no, no like real explanation, except that one day I walked, I walked into a book bookstore. I lived in Florida at the time in the United States. And I walked into a bookstore and one book jumped at me and I bought it and I read it. And uh, it was the story about a guy that had started multiple businesses and he was still very young and yeah. he was all over the, the, the podcast scene at the <laughs> time, you know, that was very new uh, around 2007, 2008. And I, I didn't stop reading those kinds of books until this day, you know, that this is the stuff that gets me pumped. And I guess I just wanted to do something like that. You know, those guys, they had an idea and they, they go for it. They, the, they try to prove other people wrong or to start something new. And uh, besides everything, everything else that was happening in my life with first with my flying career and later with the, my diagnosis and my transition to vegetarianism, I wasn't still aware that uh, I, I wanted to, to start something, you know, except when it really like um, started becoming real, you know, yeah. that, oh, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can go for it, you know, and I had a lot of inspiration from everything that I read, but it wasn't something that I was aiming to do, you know, oh, maybe uh, now, like you said, you know, maybe this, uh, the, the, the fact that I lost something will make me want to control the, my destiny in the future or, uh, or something like that. No, it was probably trying to emulate what I read, what I was inspired by. Cool. Uh, but it, it wasn't very, um, I wasn't very aware, I guess that's yeah. the, and can That's you the, can you remember what that true. that book was that you were reading? One of those first. Yeah, the books? first one that I yeah the first one that I read was uh, "Once You're in Luck, Twice You're Good," and that's a book about Kevin Rose, the guy that founded uh, Dig. Okay. And um, he had many other ventures as well. So cool. All right. Uh, he had a podcast list. at the time. Yeah, yeah, he had a podcast at the time called Dig Nation, which was one of the very first. Like it was a video podcast at the time. And I've read so many people describe that they got hooked on podcast listening or business development or entrepreneurship by following what he was doing because he was very vocal about it. He was still very young at the time. Um, I still follow him to this day. You know, uh, he also, I think his most recent venture, he had a, a website about watches called Hodinki. Okay. Um, yeah. So he was very inspirational to me and still is to this day. Awesome. Well, we'll put a link to that book in the show notes as well. So anyone listening can go and check that out and I'll put that on my reading list too. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. The, the writer is very good as well. She's called Sarah Lacey. She's the reporter in Silicon Valley. Cool. She has many other books uh, in that gender, in that genre as well. Yeah. Awesome. Just taking a quick break here to say thanks again for listening. Hope you're enjoying what you're hearing today. And if you are enjoying it, please leave a review as we're a new podcast. Those reviews are really important to us. And also don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I don't know how much you, you class yourself as being an entrepreneur who's done this or if you feel like, you know, it's just been the natural progression of what you've done. But what else gets you, what else gets you pumped to come and bring this this vegan empire forward and to start creating this? So, I mean, of course, the mission number one is to try to drive leather out of the, the footwear industry. Um, and I try to keep my feet on the ground with everything that I do. But one thing that I mentioned to other people is that, of course, we, we all want the, you know, the fantasy vision of the activists, you know, going after 
factory farms and, and doing all of that, you know, and maybe the guys at the forefront of doing the synthetic meats or the plant-based meats and stuff like that. But I, I wasn't brought in any of those environments. You know, yeah. I wasn't raised with that kind of uh, stuff in my head. You know, I, I didn't go to, I, I taking the aviation route, I was focused on technical training and I never went to school like in college or university to do engineering mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So I think we have to take, uh what we can you know like do with our own hands and try to do our part so um do, being an entrepreneur was uh became more real as i started the business and because at the time it was very new not just in brazil but everywhere that we were showcased um that whole environment came more and more to me and speaking to other people and speaking about the struggles and the achievements and all then i became a bit more aware And I guess uh, fought more of myself as one of those that take a, takes a leap, you know, uh, put something on the line and goes after a vision or a mission or a dream or something like that. Um, but it's always uh, like the, the, the word that we live in is it's always it's all about comparison. You know, you're always com being compared or comparing yourself to others. So um, I try to keep my feet on the ground uh, doing what, what, can, what I can with what I have. So um, I was uh, born and raised in the, in the capital of footwear here in Brazil. Yeah. And I took a completely different route from my parents. You know, my father uh, supported me in all the dreams that I had, uh, he and my mom, uh, which is uh, I moved to the U.S. at 14 years old, going there to play tennis and came back an airplane pilot. And now I make <laughs> vegan shoes. Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> Jeez. That's a lot of support that I have. <laughs> that is really cool. Uh, yeah. So that I think that's it at the end of the day. You know, uh, the Ahimsa is, uh, could still be considered a startup at uh, seven years old at this point, but we are a more mature business and I'm more down to the ground already. You know, we, we're not going to take over the whole planet by making our own shoes, but we are making a dent. I, I believe, you know, uh, I go places and the brand is recognized. Other people know what we do and uh, really believe in our mission and really understand the transparency and the, the honesty that we put behind everything that we do. So that's, uh, that's all that I could have hoped for. You know, uh, I clearly remember uh, in one of my many travels, uh, going to stores uh, throughout the US and even in Europe and um, even down there in Australia and seeing shoes that we made here on the shelves, you know, and, uh, that it still feels weird, you know, that's our shoes yeah. that are everywhere. I, I was going to actually say, you know, it's, um, I've got obviously in the other room here, some of the, some of the no skin boots, which you've produced and are looking incredible. You know, we're so stoked with those and you've done an amazing job with those. I was thinking it, it would be really strange if, Yeah, you're you're over there in Brazil and we're having this call and I'm sitting here in Melbourne with a pair of the shoes that you've created here. And I, you know, I can appreciate because the same as when we can start selling these and then maybe somebody in Brazil will buy this pair of shoes and it will go full circle. And that would be so cool to know that, you know, somebody over there is walking around wearing a pair of our shoes. So I can completely get that. That's, you know, that feeling yeah. of that being great will never go away. Yeah, for, for many of our employees here, the people that are really in the factory floor that some of them have been in the industry for over 20 years, um, it's maybe just another job, you know, at the end of the day, they are not making this life choice that we do, you know, they're not, 
Uh, I don't mandate that anybody turns vegan to work here or anything like that. I try to make them conscious of the, the choice that I made and that our customers make as well. Um, we are not making, uh, you know, I, I tell them most days whenever we have some large problems that uh, I have to bring them back and say, hey, we're not, you know, saving anybody's life here uh, directly. You know, uh, we are very low in the or very high, depending how you look at, at the pyramid of the basic necessities. So we're not doing, you know, uh, I guess too much important stuff, but this makes a difference, you know, yeah. uh, it makes a difference that if 10 people buy uh, maybe a, a pair of pairs of our shoes, then it's one animal less that can, will, will be, you know, that will be killed and used for, for this, you know, of course there are, other industries they use the byproducts as well so it's not just footwear but it's we are one of the links in a chain that has been increasingly increasing at a at a pace that i couldn't believe would happen starting this in 2013 and seeing where we are in 2020 it, it, it's incredible incredible well that's you know, um, uh, yeah for sure that's then another question i had is you know you've been in the industry of specifically vegan footwear for seven years now um, whereas it's something I've come into in the past 12 months. So what does that look like? Have, it sounds like your expectations have been exceeded in the term of how much people are now getting on board and how the industry is actually growing. Yeah, so in general, from the start until today, uh, we see a trend where for the, the really like the, the vegan people, people that have already made this choice and are already living with that. We are sort of used to making compromises, you know, where we can go, what we can buy. And we also have the awareness of the damages to the environment of high consumerism. So we are always making very conscious choices about everything that we buy. I like to joke that uh, vegans are known for not eating meat, but that's the least of the problems, you know, because <laughs> we start questioning everything from that point yeah. onwards. Um, so from the very beginning, we saw a lot of people that were not vegan, were not vegetarian, buying our shoes as a way to compensate a little bit. You know, they were like, oh, this doesn't kill any animals. So maybe I'm, I'm still eating uh, animal products. But if I buy a, a vegan shoe that looks no different, then I'm doing my part. Yeah. Okay. You know? And we are seeing that more and more uh, in, in these seven years, of course, the, the, the vegan movement itself is growing like crazy as well. People turning vegan, making choice to go plant-based in their diets. And uh, after that, maybe opening up to the other sides, you know, other parts of consumerism that they can turn vegan as well, the cons their, of their consumption that they can turn vegan as well. So uh, it's been growing like crazy. Like um, from, from, from here in Brazil, seeing very little brands like just us and maybe a couple of others in 2013. Now we have maybe more than 20 uh, vegan brands available for, for footwear wow. here for the domestic market um, in everywhere as well, you know, stores popping up everywhere, uh, offering a selection of products, not just food or um, dairy alternatives, you know, uh, but all kinds of uh, consumer goods and, bringing all the ethical part inside as well. So like I said, I, I really like to joke and I really believe that that's true, that being vegan uh, opens your eyes for a lot of other things, not just for not eating meat or for animal welfare, but how can you be, you know, looking at an animal, you know, and pushing for their treatment to be better and not look to your fellow human beings as well, or 
to care for the environment that the animals live in and that we live in as well. So you start putting everything together, then you can see the potential for a brand or a consumer product or for a store um, and for the customer to be looking at all these kinds of things when making a choice. You know, I have some money, I want to buy something or I need something. What are my options? And uh, we've been seeing that more and more, you know, uh, customer um, inquisition has been growing as well. You know, like they're not just buying for the for buying sake. They're not just even if we claim to be 100 percent vegan as we are and that we have the vegan manufacturing environment and all. We are getting more and more and more questions, not just about how the shoes are made, but how the employees are treated, how the materials are made, how can the footwear be discarded. That has been growing immensely over the last two years. Uh, it wasn't something that we, uh, I'm, I'm not going to say we didn't worry about before. We worried about it because we are in the industry. We know yeah. what the, the materials are uh, and how can they be harmful? How can, how can they be recycled and stuff like that? But the customers are now coming to us as well and asking uh, what do they do with a shoe that has met its the end of its life? You yeah, know? that's really great. It's great to hear that the consumers are thinking more in that direction because there's a lot of people like us that have this vision and they want to create, you know, create a brand that supports their vision and their um, environmental conscious elements or, you know, their veganism or something like that. But to know that other people are coming in and starting to ask those questions from a consumer perspective just reinforces mm-hmm. that it's moving in a good direction, which is really great. Yeah. We made a goal and we're going to be sticking to it, which means every week throughout 2021, we're going to be releasing a brand new episode of Producing With Purpose. So that means we've already got some great guests lined up for the rest of January, including an interview with Nick Pierce, who is the founder of Homie, the amazing Melbourne fashion label who really give back to the community. And we're also going to be speaking to James Perrin, who is the head of sustainability at Stone & Wood. I'm stoked for you to hear these, and if you can't wait to hear them, then make sure you hit subscribe so that you're notified as soon as they come out. Thanks very much. Obviously, I understand that your you know your father was in the footwear production element, but you've created a, you've created a Himsa as a footwear brand, so you've started having your own shoes made to sell those as a brand. Um, then you, it makes sense that you then started manufacturing that. I mean, as somebody who doesn't come from footwear manufacturing, it seems like a real big challenge to step into manufacturing your own shoes and to open your own factory as well. But how have you actually balanced the business between being Ahimsa, the footwear brand that makes Ahimsa shoes, and then being Ahimsa, a manufacturer for other brands like us? Like, how did you actually go mm-hmm. about acquiring customers like us at the beginning? So I think everything... Uh, came together and one side helps the other. So uh, for us, the the possibility to start the factory was the, with the fact that we are based in a city that has the, you know, the whole environment around it. You know, we in our city, uh, at peak, there were over 600 shoe factories. Wow. Okay. So it's it, it was the, the, you know, number one business of the city. It no longer is, but it was for many years. So... Uh, because, you know, having the, the workers with the knowledge around you and also having the supply chain already established around you, yeah. that's very, very important when starting any kind of industry, not just footwear and not just fashion, not just, you know, what we do. But um, you can, of course, uh, open 
industries and factories anywhere, but it will like the, the, your ability to acquire workers and materials will vary greatly. So uh, we do in, in here in Brazil now we have factories that have moved from my city to other places for go, due to you know incentives from governments and stuff. Okay. And they struggle a lot, you know, because uh, they maybe have to keep a base here to be coming to source materials or maybe even to hire people and transfer them mm -hmm. over to the new site, you know. So um, if we were based anywhere else uh, besides a city that already had a, you know, the a culture of manufacturing footwear already uh, established, then I don't think we would be able to do what we did. So um, we, of course, uh, knew some people at the time uh, and we contacted them about uh, wanting to start a factory, we were kind of lucky that uh, the the we had two factories that we outsourced from in the very beginning. And the very first one, around the time that I was planning to start our factory, they closed down for business reasons. And we were able to, you know, hire some of the employees that were being let go. So that already brought in a lot of knowledge yeah. to the factory uh, experience, even with our own shoes that they had made in the past. Um, and like I said, the, the availability of the, the whole supply chain around us is really important because, you know, where do you go in Melbourne to source um, machinery to make shoes? Oh, of course, uh, yeah. yeah. Google is not going to help you much with that. <laughs> so uh, here you can, you know, go from corner to corner and every other shop is something related to footwear. So cool. you can, you know, you rent a building and then you, you go... Uh, you walk a little bit in downtown and then you find places where you can source rent machines and you can, you know, place an ad on the local paper for, uh, I need teachers. I, I need anybody, somebody that does assembly and like a hundred mm. people show up the next day. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> that was very, very important for us, you know, otherwise we wouldn't do it. And um, so the idea in the beginning was to start a small factory that did maybe 20 to 30 pairs per day. Yeah. Um, or and we, we made a plan, like, we'll achieve that within six months to a year. So let's start small. Let's start something that will only allow us to replenish whatever we have in inventory. So I think at the time we had maybe uh, 30 different products in our line already, mm -hmm. you know, uh, trying to be a brand that offer many kinds of styles, you know, for men, for women, uh, gender-related style. We had everything from the beginning. So um, they were all sort of looked like each other, you know, the styles, but uh, in their construction, but the appearance was different. So that helped us as well yeah. that we started from a basis that allowed us to, to make uh, shoes that looked different for the consumer, but was still alike to manufacture. Uh, and at the end of 2014, early 2015, that's when we decided that to make the next step in the, in our factory, we need to, uh, increase our production output. And we need to acquire more knowledge as well. And we only get knowledge with making stuff, you know, so we can go in the direction of developing new styles and pushing ourselves in the direction of learning more. Um, and that's, of course, a bit expensive, you know, because you're investing and you're risking losing a lot of stuff yeah. because you are the one dealing with low production yields and quality control being an issue, you know, rejecting a lot of stuff, which is also not very uh, environmental. Um, so with the production that we have, that we had at the time, then we decided that maybe other people need this. You know, we, we struggled when we outsourced, we were 
there at the, the factories that made for us almost every single day, checking stuff, making sure at the time that they weren't using anything that wasn't, you know, vegan, um, because there are a lot of, uh, you know, stuff that's in the industry that nobody knows that's not vegan and it's just being used out of habit. You know, even uh, horse hair in brushes. Yeah. So okay. uh, you have to be aware of some of the little stuff that are being used that, you know, regular non-vegan people, especially the ones involved in the industry, wouldn't be aware, necessarily aware of, of those. So we were there and we knew of the struggles and we knew that we sometimes got stuff that wasn't up to our standards. And that was, that was when, I guess, a, a, a light bulb came on and we realized that we could offer our services to other people. And we started contacting a few brands, you know, uh, we had already sold Ahimsa to a few stores outside of Brazil. Uh, in Brazil, we remain selling only directly. So there are no retail spaces here that uh, sell our shoes or any other stores online or physical. Um, but outside of Brazil, we partnered with many other people and uh, they started asking as well, you know, oh, you have your own factory. Can you make stuff for us? And it was really Uh, the help of the movement itself, you know, like uh, we have a partner in Germany called Avezu that mm -hmm. sells many, many vegan shoes. And Thomas, uh, the, one of the owners there is a good friend since that time. And he introduced me to many other brands, you know, as a vegan uh, retailer, he, he knows of many brands that struggle with sourcing, you know, that dealing with factories that are aware of what a vegan footwear is. And he introduced me to a lot of people as well. So it's like one helping the other, yeah. you know, so as we grow in scale, it sort of gets better for everybody because our prices will improve, our quality will improve and our power really to, to go anywhere and acquire any kind of material will also improve and we can sort of uh, carry everybody with us as we go ahead. So that's what I like that completely leads into something that I was thinking earlier where you say there's there's 20 more vegan footwear brands coming out in brazil you know there's there's a big shift and obviously you you will more than anyone see the new brands that are coming to the market you'll find out about people like us who aren't even live yet or other brands doing similar things and it sounds to me like you're of the same mentality that all of these new people coming along it's not it's not competition i mean especially for you because it's actually you know funding your manufacturing processes But for all of us doing this, it's just lifting the tide of all the businesses in this industry. It's improving the quality. It's improving the prices. It's improving the consumer yeah. understanding of what we're doing. So it's kind of like the more, the better. Let's let's see a big shift towards this and let's see lots of brands doing it. And then working together, we can go out and make a disruption in the industry. Yeah. Job number one is to get leather out of everyone's feet. And regardless if it's with my brand or my neighbor's brand or a friend's brand, or somebody that I don't know, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, get you that go as fast as we can. Absolutely. If I can help, then I'll help. And, and, and as you said, you know, out of the 20 brands here in Brazil nowadays, I probably manufacture eight of them. So uh, it's a way for us to transfer our knowledge and allow people that, uh, you know, are just starting like yourself. You know, I, I clearly remember even having the knowledge of my father from almost 40 years in the industry. You go somewhere And you tell somebody that you want to make vegan shoes, you know, the they're either showing you the door or asking what kind of shoe is that, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I, if I have the possibility to open the door and if not necessarily directly manufacturing, but sharing the knowledge and pointing people in the right direction, then I'll always do that. Awesome. Love it, man. 
So do you think you've, you know, you've got a lot of employees there and I know that as you say, it's, you don't mandate people to be vegan. You just want, you want the people there who can do a great job. And I know that you also do give some education, you know, some talk, sorry, you give some talks or you give some education, you inform them a little bit about it and you let them make their own choices, which is great. What are their views? Do you think, you know, they've come from, I'm imagining predominantly leather factories and now they're producing vegan shoes. Do you think that they are on board with the fact that the quality can be matched? Were they surprised to see that you can actually make this amazing quality by not using leather? It has been changing very fast. Uh, when we started in pretty much throughout 2013 and 2014, we only used textile. Okay. Uh, and that was very difficult, you know, because then you're dealing with a material that's uh, it doesn't give. It's a little stiffer. It, it suffers more in quality. Um, when being worn, um, it gets damaged easily in production. So you're dealing with a material that's very fragile. That was very hard to teach people how to work with that and to uh, make them understand that it had to be right from the start. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to save the shoe by the end of production. Yeah. You know, uh, in the in the regular industry with leather, it you'd be amazed how can they fix leather you know you can damage the entire shoe throughout production and somehow you save it by the end you know okay. it's many years of knowledge um many products that can be used on it you know um and that that time i decided to go away from that material and said if the 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 way to go uh, to something that's leather like and has quality is the synthetic route and we'll make this decision and we'll go in that direction because we need to open our possibilities so people that are even the, the ones that are vegan but need to wear something that's uh, leather like either for you know appearance or for maybe necessity you know somebody that works in the office doesn't want to stand out with something out of canvas that doesn't look like any doesn't look anything like leather then it's ideal that we have some alternative that looks and feels like what they're used to. Yeah. And that's especially important for the ones making that transition. So that's uh, 2016 when we started, uh, end of 2015, early 2016, when we started working with synthetics and the breakthrough that we saw uh, throughout all this time, my workers are saying synthetics are hard, they're of poor quality, we can't fix it. You know, it gets to the end and we lose the shoe because of some small issue that we can't fix. So going back to your question after this <laughs> lengthy uh, <laughs> talk uh, is uh, throughout all of this time, people were always complaining, you know, this is, uh, this is no different than a, a cheap plastic shoe. You know why we're making this? Why can't we use something that's a little bit better? Uh, I was hearing that from some customers, from some of my employees. And until we were able to move to what's now the gold standard, in vegan shoes, which is the microfibers, yeah. then now we have something that uh, ticks every box uh, in, in quality terms. You know, it is better than leather already. Yeah, okay. uh, it, it's, it, it deals better with temperature. It's uh, more durable. It had the, like all the properties that you want from something that you have to, to wear, you know, and protects your feet from weather, from the environment and all. Uh, it takes every box. Uh, production is still small, so it's a material that's still pricey uh, that, you know, can uh, maybe make um, vegan shoes look a little expensive sometimes, but it's not really expensive. Uh, you're probably, if you're seeing a shoe, a vegan shoe that's 
considered expensive that probably has to do more with the scale that that's being produced than what the material is being produced, yeah. but still one goes with the other. Um, but I, I know especially um, Joshua from Brave Gentleman, which is one of our customers as well. He calls this material the future leather because it's already better than than actual, you know, animal leather, you know, the cruelty point not standing, you know, it's yeah. already a better material from all sides. Uh, it's still made from petroleum, you know, its main basis, it's uh, PU, polyurethane. Uh, so like I said, it's step by step. We've got to first offer people something that's as good or better. Uh, we got to get it up to scale so we can drive the cost down and then we can start, you know, tackling the other issues such as the the environmental concerns as well. Um, yeah. As I said, not having the cows, you know, not having to feed them, not having to, you know, uh, give them water at the to the degree that they require. Um, the material, even though it comes from petroleum, I'm sure it's uh, more environmental uh, friendly than than the animals. Huh. And as I said, job number one is stop the cruelty and then we'll fix we'll keep fixing the rest as we go absolutely no I, I really love that way of putting it and i think that's really important and again people forget all about the tanning processes of leather and you know yep. the the water offset that ends up in into local water supplies and things like that of the toxic chemicals that come out of the tanning process you know there's that was a huge issue here here in my city in the early 90s, like, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, we didn't have the treatment. So at the end of the workday, all the tanneries just dump the water in the canals here that goes across the city. And uh, it stunk, you know, the yeah. Franca was known as the city that had a bad smell because of all the tanneries. Now it's mandated that they all have their treatment. It's a whole different city, yeah. you know, but it was disgusting. I, I'm, I'm not even sure the damage is that that probably caused to people that either work there or just people just was passers, you know, going by every single day with that strong smell of chromium, you know? Absolutely. Um, and it's great. It's great that now it's mandated that in that city, they have to have the treatment, but that's still yeah. not the case in a lot of places in India that have the tanneries yeah. as well. So it's still a huge environmental impact. And that's why a lot of reports you'll see still say that even PU, even though it's petroleum based, is still more environmentally friendly than leather. And of course, you're taking away the animal yeah. involvement as well. So it's yeah. awesome. It's a great step in the right direction. And, and it's been happening. You know, we see a lot of uh, just here in my desk, I have uh, samples from Italy. They are making leather alternatives out of, uh, you know, the leftovers from wine production. I have uh, cactus leather from Mexico. I, have, I still have some samples of the rubber leather here from Brazil. Um, I've had them before, but I don't currently have the mushroom leather from the Netherlands. It's happening, you know. Uh, we need to uh, to make some projects to to start and get the early adopters. As with any new technology, you know, we could make a shoe that's 100% biodegradable today, wow. but the regular consumer wouldn't be happy with that. You know, it's not going to last you very long, and you probably leave it in your wardrobe for a year, and it decomposes. <laughs> Would you be happy with that? I don't think so. So. As brand owners, as developers, you have to be making the choices, you know, so we go step by step and uh, the better shoe is the one that has, ha doesn't have to be disposed of, you know, so whenever we can get the quality uh, up to a standard where you buy one instead of 10, that's already a major improvement out of anything else. No, I completely back that. It's all about, and that's a big, that's a big ethos of ours is making people buy less and buy well. That's the best thing we can do is we yeah. can get that quality up. We can use the materials that mean that you buy once and exactly, you're not, you know, you're not buying something that's going to last for a short time and just keep buying and keep buying because 
yeah. that's what causes a lot of the problems. So we'll start moving towards wrapping up. Yeah, I'm conscious of your time there as well. Mm-hmm. A couple of things to finish. It's always a pleasure to speak about this. I know. I, well, that's the thing is every time I have these conversations, we start off and we've got a few questions. But when it's when you get a couple of people who are passionate about something, it always goes on. So it's, no, it's great. Yeah. Great. And some really interesting information. I'm loving hearing all about it. I can't wait to um, get the shoes that you've made for us out there as well. Tell me a little bit then, going back to some of the entrepreneur side and some of the business side, you know, you, you started reading books at a young age while sitting on autopilot, which I love. It's a great vision. <laughs> what, what else would you advise for anyone else who's starting a business? And I guess for me, you know, coming into this, we're not yet live and we're going to go on hopefully what's a long adventure of starting a business. What advice would you give to somebody starting at this point? Well, I'll, I'll try to keep it simple. Um, it's going to be tough. Um, it's going to get tougher as you go. Yeah. Uh, so if you're going to start something, pick something that you're passionate about. Because at the very tough days when all your friends are out and you're having to work late hours or when you're really short on cash and you're pouring everything that you have into your business, uh, you have to be passionate about it. You know, If you're starting something because it's the popular thing or you especially with veganism, you know, people jumped at this because it's the new hot thing. If you're not passionate about this, you're not going to survive, you know, because to, to survive in this tough environment now, especially with the large corporations also coming into to this, uh, you have to love what you're doing. You know, customers will, especially nowadays, they will know who the, the truth behind all the masks, you know, they will search for honesty. They will search for, the truth, you know, they want to to feel that somebody there that's doing stuff for them. That's that could be, you know, uh, a, a a shop on the corner making sweets, a shop making, you know, vegan pizza or or any other kind of business. You know, not just necessarily vegan, but especially on on ours, I guess. Uh, think hard and thoughtfully about what you want to start and start something that you're passionate about. You know, uh, figure your mission and. Um, try to get inspired. Uh, that's what helps me most times because when it gets tough, uh, I have to read other people's situations and try to get out of them <laughs> to see how they got out and, and try to do it myself as well. So yeah, I think the, the knowledge is there. Uh, it's uh, available in many books, uh, better than ever, I guess, in the generation, in the time that we live in. So yeah, uh, start something that you're passionate about and rely on people's experience to get through the harder times. Awesome. Perfect, man. Love it. So just to finish up then, tell us a little bit, uh, tell us a bit about the next year for Ahimsa. What's in the pipeline? What's in the works? Anything that you'd like people to check out? Well, it's been on my mind for the last two weeks, really this time of the year, you know, uh, late December, early January is the time that I usually take to reflect on the year that was and what's to come uh to be honest and speaking in january 2nd 2021 here in brazil it's uh i'm still not over the past year you know i'm, yeah. I'm just glad we survived literally and also figuratively you know with the business you know i'm glad to be alive uh having a condition that put me like maybe second on the list of the those that were in most danger with this yeah. virus yeah um, just being here is a, a blessing and also with the business being able to endure this very tough year that we had um, so it's a, a time for me to reflect it's been tougher than others um, I've, I've not been able yet to you know really quiet down my mind still racing at a fast pace uh, from everything that happened but 
uh, it's looking a little better, you know, uh, as, as they say, you know, as the saying goes, you have to reach the bottom so you can climb. Uh, uh, and a lot of stuff has been happening, you know, we've seen elections in a lot of places, uh, people showing up and demanding change, you know, and demanding that we are not going to take anything for granted anymore, that we need to do our part. That, that gives me hope, uh, with the customers, uh, demanding more and more information. As I said, that also gives me hope. Uh, with people like you and uh, all the folks there at NoSkin starting a business in the midst of all of this uh, also gives me hope. So, um, you know, it's uh, we have to look in the, in the direction that uh, we're going to get better. Um, and I have plans to, to, of course, keep the business going, uh, bringing as many brands as I can to our fold, you know, manufacturing for other brands, for other people helping people grow, sharing the information that we have um, because the, the, the uh, my North Star is still very bright, you know, in showing me the way. And as I said, the, the days are very tough uh, and I, I try to, to keep the positive outlook on things so it can, you know, uh, drive me onwards. The, the tougher days, I try to look back a little bit and see what we have achieved at this point. And that's what I've been trying to do the, the past two weeks, you know, just... Uh, rely on everything that we went through and trying to come up with uh, new goals for 2021 that will be maybe a little better than just to survive. <laughs> I hope so, man. And it's been, yeah, it's been <laughs> a pleasure working with you this year. You've brought great energy and, you know, we've been coming into something new, shoe manufacturing for us and being part of this is new. Um, and you've been an amazing asset and a resource for us to get an understanding of it. It's It's been great. So, you know, from us and the team at No Skin as well, we wish Ahimsa and you a really awesome 2021. And hopefully things, as you say, it's not just about surviving, but we start thriving again. And uh, for anyone listening, if you go into the show notes of this, you'll be able to see some images of the shoes that Gabriel and his team have produced for us. Um, also some links to Ahimsa in their ranges as well. And go and check it out and support all of us who are trying to make these positive changes.